welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwane. Incredibly stunning, ridiculously good-looking people of Hatfield. And uh, yeah, amen, amen, great stuff. Uh, my name is Taiki, and I'm a partner here at Hatfield. And uh, we're going to be getting into the Word this morning, so I hope you're ready for that. And uh, woo, yes, thank you, Mana, I love the energy. Um, but last week, as you guys know, we kicked off a new preaching series here at Hatfield called Come and See, Come and See where we're walking through the book of John and we're discovering who Jesus is. And in so doing, we're discovering a little bit about who our God is and also who that makes us. And also, what does it look like to share the truth that we have found in Jesus with others? So today, we're going to be looking at the question, what does Jesus have to do with God? What does Jesus have to do with God? Because often when we approach somebody with Jesus, they're like, but what does Jesus have to do with God? Why this Jesus guy? Why not just God? And, uh, and we're going to be looking at that today. And uh, have any of you ever done Alpha? Woo! Okay, we've got some Alpha fans in the house. Alpha is an incredible course run by HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton. And uh, we run it here as well from time to time. And what it is, is it's sort of a safe place for people to ask questions about Christianity and find out a bit more about who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. And, and in their one talk, who is Jesus, they ask a few random people on the street, okay, who would you say Jesus is? And it's, it's quite interesting to hear their responses because some of the guys are like, well, I don't think he ever really existed. He's just like this mythical figure that somebody made up. And somebody else was asked and they said, well, he was a good man and he gave good advice and the myth just snowballed from there. Um, and somebody else was just like, he was just this crazy guy. <laughs> he was just this crazy guy. But my, my question to you today is, as you sit here, who do you say Jesus is? If I had to stop you in the middle of the night and wake you and go, who is Jesus? Okay, first of all, you're going <laughs> to probably clobber me. But second of all, what would you say? What in your heart of hearts do you believe about who Jesus is to you? John Tyson is an incredible preacher. He's the lead pastor from the Church of the City of New York. And in a recent Easter message, he actually said that him and his family got to go and see the alleged tomb where Jesus was laid and uh, obviously was resurrected there as well. And he got to look at the different responses of people as they were in the tomb and as they came in, as, as they checked it out. He said, it's obviously a glorified tourist attraction now and people getting queue and then everyone has their turn to go in and look around. And, and he says he got to stand there for a little while and look at how the different people responded. And he said, well, some were indifferent. Some were indifferent. Um, many of them teenagers who were dragged there by their parents to come and see this awesome site where Jesus was raised. And, and they were there and they're like, okay, that's nice. Now can we go see the next attraction? 
you know, so it's sort of that kind of thing. And he says others were the debaters. They were there and they were going, yes, but the Crusades raised this place, so how can they know? And how this could not be the right site. And, and they were just getting into sort of the mental part of being there, but not connecting emotionally or spiritually at all with what was happening. For them, it was entirely a mental thing where they're going, yeah, but okay, so now we've seen it. And then he said there were others who came in, and, and as they stepped into the space, they fell to their knees, and they said, this is the place where my life was changed. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, I was able to have new life. And he says, he, he just saw these devoted followers that walked in, and they were like, this is the space. This is the space. And, and this morning, as we look at just those three different responses, I think all of us find ourselves in different spaces in our Christian walk where we might be in each of those places at different times. And really, I, I grew up in a Greek Afrikaans home. You don't get more mishmash than that. Um, and and we, we did church the, the, the best way, you know, it's uh, Easter and Christmas. Um, so, so no, that is not the best way, don't quote me on that. But much of my church experience was one of religion. It wasn't one of relationship. Church was something we did twice a year. And we had this concept um, of relationship that, that people were talking about, but I didn't experience that at all growing up. It was literally something we went and we did. And one of my earliest memories of church was taking communion in the Greek Orthodox Church. And in the Greek Orthodox Church, communion was OBS and Mosbolikis. Now, okay, so... So some of you know, don't know what mosbolikis are, so I will translate. It's basically unbaked rusks. You know those loaves of rusks that are still soft and delicious? So, so here's me, little me, getting in line with everybody else at the, the Greek Orthodox Church. And I'm getting in line, and when you get to the front, they've got this cup, and everybody shared the same cup. I know, now that we've been through COVID, everybody's like, Really? But yes, yes, everybody shared the same cup, and you got your sip of your OBS, and like a good boy, I stored it in my cheek, and I grabbed my rusk, my mosboliki, and I made sure to hightail it out of the church to the nearest bush to spit out this horrible liquid that had entered my mouth, and eat my rusk, and then get back in the queue for another mosboliki. Okay, so this, this physique does not happen by accident, people. Okay, so, so really, I, I, I had the rusk, I got back there, but, but really, although I was physically present, I did not understand the significance of what was happening and what I was doing. So around the same time or a little bit later, I was around 12, and my parents decided they would go their separate ways, and, and things hadn't been going well for them for quite a long time, and they both decided they'd be happier with someone else. And my dad left, and often we wouldn't know where he was. He would just move from space to space in the country, and, and occasionally we'd get to chat with him or go stay with him for a weekend. But, but he made very clear when he left, he didn't want us to live with him. Uh, he wanted us to live with our mom. And, and we did. My brother and I went to go stay with my mom, and, and she remarried, and she remarried a guy that was unfortunately an abuser, and a drunk, and, and it would be 10 years before she'd be able to walk away from that relationship. So, so when I started asking questions about faith and church, I, I, I shifted from, from really being someone who was indifferent to being there 
to being someone whose intellect told him this whole thing was a wash. And for all intents and purposes, I'd stood in the tomb, but I did not see a Jesus there. I, I was so bitter and closed off because of everything that I'd experienced that I was just unwilling to see or to speak to God. And even if he was real, I had already been rejected by every other father figure I'd ever known. So how could I relate to this God that hadn't even bothered to fix my home situation? So, so I, I just thought I wasn't good enough for any of them, so I probably wouldn't be good enough for him either. So I decided this is not for me. And where am I today? If you were to ask me today, who do I think Jesus is? Well, hopefully I'm not in that place. But, but today, I am deeply convinced that there was not a day. There was not a single day in my life that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit were not present in every moment that I'd experienced. But it was a journey. It was a journey for me to get from the OBS and the Mosbolikis to where I am today. Can we recognize that? There, there was life that happened in, in the middle somewhere. But, but my question is, what does your journey look like? If you have to think for yourself, are you here today as a forced pilgrim? Were you dragged here today by somebody who, who was like, no, come, you need to come? Or, or maybe are you still a religious debater? Are you busy figuring this thing out in your mind and you're going, yes, but what history tells me is this? Or what I believe is this? Or, or are you finding yourself here today and, and, and you're a devoted follower? You're someone who's just like, Jesus wrecked my life in the best way possible. So in a recent survey in the U.S., uh, there was this survey conducted, and a number of respondents chose to describe themselves as spiritual, but not religious. Spiritual, but not religious. And it was clear from the results that many of the respondents did reject this idea that science and rational thought are enough to go through this life and to figure out everything that there is. And, and really, they, 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 they really held that. But at the same time, they said, I am not willing to go back to stifling and rule-based religion. So, so they were caught in this middle space of, I'm not willing to go back to what I knew growing up. I, I'm not willing to go back to the rules and, and the lifeless relationship. But I also recognize that science and life and just normal life and joining clubs and doing life is not enough to sustain me. Now, when I say that, who of you does that resonate with? Hey, when I say going back to stifling rule-based religion is not an option, do you guys feel that? Do you guys have that in you? Um, because between my reference for church and my lack of good father figures, it was no surprise that I found it very hard to relate to this God. I found it so hard to relate to a father who I didn't know, who seemed distant, who seemed to do nothing about my troubled home life, and who I found so abstract that it was difficult to love him. And I tried. I, I, I started wading through the Old Testament, which is where I thought I'd find answers. And, and can I be honest? The God that I read about there was just a little bit scary. I, I was like, this, this, you, you're, you come across as a little bit angry, um, God. And, and I, I just couldn't understand why. Why the smiting? Why, why is stuff happening here? And, and I just couldn't put it all together. And, and now I know. Now I know that the reason I was struggling so hard to know God in that season of my life, to know his heart, to know his intention towards me, is because there's no way that I could ever have a full revelation of God apart from Jesus. 
Okay. So, a side note here. If you're new to the faith, please don't start reading the Old Testament first. (laughs) We're in the book of John, and you will love it, and you'll get to know Jesus. And there's this beautiful thing that happens when I start reading the Old Testament in the context and through the lens of Jesus Christ. Okay. So, really, what does Jesus have to do with God? Everything. Everything. In Jesus, we see God's true character. In Jesus, we know God fully. In Jesus, we've got this greater revelation of who our God is. And in Jesus, we find forgiveness and friendship and salvation and truth. And in Jesus, I learn how to deal with disappointment and suffering. And and in Jesus, I learn how to love other people without prejudice. So there's this quote that I heard, and it's by this incredible um, historian and theologian called Yaroslav Pelikan. I know, don't you love the guy's name? Uh, it's the coolest name ever. And, uh, and he says the following. He says, regardless of what anyone may personally think or believe about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for almost 20 centuries. It's from his birth that most of the human race dates its calendars. It's by his name that millions curse, and in his name that millions pray. My whole life changed the day I gave my heart to Jesus. Tim Keller describes that moment of just having that encounter. He says, it's an encounter with a concrete and a living person. I I found God so abstract at times because I wasn't looking at him in the context of who Jesus was and what he revealed about the heart of God. So before Christ, God was abstract and distant, and and I thought he was disappointed in me. But but Jesus? Now, there was someone I could call friend. I, I could relate to this Jesus. He was meeting with sinners and with people who weren't perfect, and he was loving them well, and, and he seemed to really know them. He seemed to know them, and and, and, and really, through the context of this friendship with Jesus, I got to know his father. I got to know his father, and his father was infinitely patient and kind and just. And, and do you know what the crazy thing was? As I got to know God, he lovingly restored the broken places inside of me. And as I got to know God, I finally had the father that I had always longed for. So let's get into some Jesus encounters this morning. Um, we're looking at the book of John, and we're in the, in the first chapter, and, and there's just this, this stuff that happens in the first chapter, so I'm just going to describe some of it because our passage is long. But um, we jump into the book of John in chapter 1, and Jesus appears in Bethany, and, and he's being baptized by John, and John baptizes Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and comes to rest On Jesus, and in some of the other gospel accounts, it actually says that a voice declares from heaven, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. My beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And and I think the beautiful thing about this scene is that God takes the time to affirm Jesus in his identity. And, And I believe that was both for those who were present, but it was also for Jesus himself, to just hear the voice of his father saying, you are my son, and I'm well pleased with you. And and really, this scene affirms for John that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God. This is is what's happening in that moment. And, And really, as 
Jesus kicks off his earthly ministry, we see just after this that he starts to gather up the 12, and he starts to gather up his disciples, and, and really what I see in this picture is I see a God who's loving and affirming and empowering in that moment. And, and throughout this gospel account, you're going to see a phrase happen a few times, and it's this phrase that says, come and see. Come and see. Can we all say it together? Come and see. Okay. Not that hard to say, hey? So whether it's Jesus saying to the disciples, come and see where I live, or it's the disciples saying to one another, come and see for yourself that Jesus is the Messiah, there's something so incredibly beautiful about this phrase. And, and do you know why I find it comforting and beautiful? Is because it reveals the simplicity with which we can introduce others to Jesus. I think sometimes we get all up in our head and we're like, how am I going to phrase this? How am I going to say this? How am I going to bring this person closer? How am I going to let them see Jesus? And, and for the disciples, it's as simple as saying, you know what? I'm just going to be a friend to you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to tell you, come and see this man that changed my life. Come and see this man that changed my life. And one of the most beautiful encounters of that we find in John 1 verse 43. So you can start reading with. And, uh, and it's just this passage, John 1, 43 to 51. And it says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and he told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And here comes Nathanael and Nathanael's going, okay, can anything good Come out of Nazareth? And, and Nathaniel asks this question, and, and Philip simply says, come and see. Come and see. So, so there's just this moment where, first of all, Philip leaves it open for Nathaniel to ask the question. But when he has to answer, he doesn't even try to answer. He just goes, come and see. Then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him, and he said about him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, answered Jesus. Rabbi Nathaniel replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Amen. So I see a few things in this passage that really move me and minister to me. So, so we're going to take it verse by verse. But, but really just before this passage, what we see is Jesus gathering up the first few disciples. And Andrew hears about Jesus from John. Andrew then proceeds to invite his brother Simon Peter to come and see this Jesus. Jesus calls Philip to follow him, and, and Philip in turn invites Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. And there's this beautiful thing that happens when we recognize there's a chain reaction of things happening here. One person finding Jesus and inviting another person to come and see, and that person inviting others to come and see, and they will invite others to come and see Jesus. So Philip approaches Nathanael saying they found the Messiah who was written about in the law. And, and, and this is a huge thing because you see the Israelites have been waiting forever for their promised Messiah to come and, and restore 
them to their rightful place. And, and with that in mind, Nathaniel asks this question because here's this picture of the Messiah has come. And then he hears that the Messiah is apparently from, from Nazareth. And, and, and Nathaniel's going, no, no good thing comes from Nazareth. This can't be the Messiah. And he's asking the question. And, and Philip doesn't condemn him in that moment. And he doesn't get nervous about the questions. He simply says, come and see. And as people around us are trying to come to grips with the reality of who Jesus is, they have to have the freedom to ask questions. They have to have the freedom to ask questions. And, and our job isn't necessarily always to have the answers, but our job is to keep pointing them to the one who does have the answers. So Nathaniel comes towards Jesus, and Jesus says, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I, I think the gravity of that moment is just Jesus knows Nathaniel. This is the first time they see each other face to face, but Jesus knows who's standing before him. And, and don't we all want to be fully known? There's something about being fully known by someone. I came out of a broken home, and I was so desperate to have someone, anyone, just affirm my identity, who, who I really am. And I, I, I was lost, and I'd been shown over and again that I wasn't wanted, and I'd grown up in abuse and brokenness, and, and in walks this man, and you know what? He knew everything I have ever done. He accepted me as I am. He loved me perfectly, and he affirmed who I was, the real me, the, the me that nobody had ever seen or known, and moreover, he loved me in a way that I'd never known before. Tim Keller has this quote about being known, and, and he says this. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and it fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Jesus comes and he affirms Nathaniel and, and he confirms that he has supernatural knowledge of him under this fig tree. And, and I'll be honest with you, if you're looking for answers about the fig tree, I don't have them and neither does any theologian. But there, there was something about that fig tree that meant something to Nathaniel. And there's just this profound moment where he's standing before Jesus and Jesus is like, I know you. And immediately Nathaniel responds and he goes, oh, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus lets him know, you know what? This is just the start. This is just the start. The stuff we're still going to see together will blow your mind. And I think sometimes we make it all about the encounter and the encounter is beautiful. And, and when we come to Jesus, it's incredible. But there's something about what comes after and the journey, and the molding, and the life stuff, and the, the fact that Jesus is with us in every single moment that will ever happen, and, and there's something so beautiful about that. I often speak about my wife, because I think she's awesome, but um, our wedding day was incredible. We had our friends with us, and it was this beautiful moment of seeing her walk up the aisle to me, but can I tell you, every single day we've had since trumps the beauty of that day. 
because our love is deeper and better and greater. And, and, and I think there's something about it. The encounter is wonderful and it's beautiful, but every day that passes after is an even better adventure with Jesus. So where were you? I want to ask you, where were you the day that Jesus found you? Can you remember? Can you remember? Take a moment, just one moment to picture it and, and maybe bring it back to your mind's eye. Maybe you were in a school assembly or maybe you were in church and, and someone prayed a prayer and you raised your hand and, and maybe you were in your room and you were all alone. Maybe it was a time in your life when you found yourself at rock bottom and you were going, Jesus, I just need you to step into this mess now and to come and help me. Wherever you were, I want you to remember the fact that in that moment, you were fully loved and you were fully known and you still are. That moment of giving my life to Jesus felt like I was coming up for fresh air. It felt like I was breathing for the first time, like I, I just was taking in new breath and I could throw off this rule-based religion that I'd learned and, and seen and, and experienced in my life. And, and really, I could throw it off for a relationship with God, who, this God who was so desperate to be in relationship with me that he would give up everything. And he did. He gave up his son to die. Yes, Jesus reveals God's heart and his character towards me in the way that he lived, but even more so in the way that he died, in the way he was resurrected to new life. There was nothing Jesus would not do to see us restored to that full relationship. And I want to tell you today, no other religion, no other religion sees their God taking on flesh, going to the cross, dying so that he can restore his relationship with his creation. So there's this beautiful poem, and I love poetry. People always have, sometimes have things to say about it. I, I, I was uh, sitting reading a book of poetry the other day, and my boss went, okay, what use is that to the kingdom? Um, so <laughs> he's just a very black and white guy. He's not a bad guy. He's just like, I don't know what, what, what is the point of poetry, because he's never been shown. So I said, you know what, it makes me a better preacher. So, um, so yes. But um, there's this beautiful poem by Edward Shilito, and it's called Jesus of the Scars. And if you can ever go look it up, look it up. It's in old, a little bit of old English, but you guys will be fine. But it says, The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. And there's just this beautiful thing about the fact that the Jesus that we serve He's got wounds, and because he's got wounds, he can deal with our wounds, and he walks a road with us, and he loves us, and do you know, I, I say as a confession, do you know what the crazy thing is? After 26 years of knowing this Jesus, I sometimes still fall back into stifling and rule-based religion. How crazy is that? And I don't know if you can relate with me, but but I've known Jesus, and, and there's something about the familiarity that, that sees me sometimes just falling back into old patterns. And you know what? I'll read my Bible every day, and I'll do a quick prayer, and I'll do the quick Jesus thing. But I, I'm falling back into things that don't have life in them. So really, this isn't a new thing. I think the enemy wants us in that space, because if he can get us to be with Jesus 
follow Jesus and fall back into religion, then we're no use to God or to anybody else. Because nobody is going to follow someone that looks like they are bored with their faith. But really, in the book of Romans, we see this reality happen as well. And I, I wanted to just share a piece of this scripture with you this morning. But we see the Roman church divided, and it's divided why? Because there are the Christ um, followers that were Gentiles. So they were non-Jewish. They didn't know the rules. They didn't know the law. They were just following Jesus because they, they learned about who he was. And, and we've got the Jewish Christians who were like, you know what? Yes, we've seen Jesus. We've got freedom. But let's follow all the 600 and whatever laws anyway. And let's follow the rules because, you know, we, we need to follow the rules. And the church is divided. Why? Because because obviously the Gentiles are going, you guys are crazy. We found freedom. Why are you going back to that stuff? And, and, and the Jewish Christians are like, no, but the rules, we have to follow the rules. And, and that's where we find Romans 7. And in Romans 7, it's, it's Paul, and he's just urging them. He goes, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law since we've died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So Paul writes this because he wants the church to be one. Because he does. He, he wants the church to be unified, but he also wants to warn them, why would you put yourself back into slavery once you've been set free? Me going back to rule-based religion, me going back to something that isn't a real relationship with Jesus, means I've picked up the shackles that are lying on the ground and I've put them back on my wrists. It's something that just doesn't make sense, that just is simply foolish to me. It's foolish to me. So the question we have today is, why Jesus? What does Jesus have to do with God? Why did he send his son? And I want to say, because God is just. God is a just God. He wanted all of us to have that same intimacy with him that Adam and Eve had in the garden. You know, it was that close, face-to-face, one-on-one, and he knew that the only way to reconcile us and reconcile the debt that we had created was for it to be paid by blood. And it was this debt that would have required a billion, billion sacrifices to rub out. And you know, you know who the only one was that could pay the debt? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. So God sends his son, the blameless lamb of God, to become the once and for all atonement for us all. And, and the crazy thing is, Jesus does it willingly. He goes to the cross, and, and he lives, and he dies, and he's raised to life, and it's all because he's just as in love with you and me as the Father is. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it this way. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So essentially, I heard it described this way once. It says, Jesus became what we were so that we could become what he is. Okay. So in this part, this thing right here, why is this important? Because it's where the rubber hits the road. Because the way I see myself, the way I see my relationship with God is going to affect everything else in my life. The way I see the world, the way I see others. And, 
And, and if I'm justified by faith, but I'm still living rule-based religion, how on earth are people ever going to see Jesus in me? And that's why come and see actually works in the Scripture over and over again. It's not because people have said this phrase and it unlocks something for everybody. Come and see works because people could see Jesus on the people doing the inviting. So, so when somebody came up to someone and they said, come and see this man. Come and see this man who is the Messiah. Come and see this man who knows everything I've ever done. The reason they come and they come willingly is because they can see Jesus in the people that come and do the inviting. There's this other encounter in Scripture, and it's also got to come and see in it, and it's the Samaritan woman at the well. And you guys remember that story. It's just Jesus sitting by the well, and, and he starts having this conversation with this woman, and, and he shares truth in that moment, but in that moment, she's also fully known and fully loved. And what's the first thing she does as Jesus offers her living water? She runs to the same people who judged and persecuted her, and she goes and she says, come and see. Come and see this man who knows everything I ever did. Come and meet this Jesus. And I, I'm sorry, but that should be our response. As we know Jesus, as we know the truth of who he is and what he brings and, and the way he loves and the way it feels to be fully known and fully loved, why would we not want everybody to have that same encounter? And I see it happen over and over again. Zacchaeus, Matthew, Nathaniel, Paul, you, me being encountered by Jesus and our lives are changed. There's this movie called Sliding Doors. I love movies. So uh, it's an old movie. Um, who of you were born after 1998? Be brave. Oh, wow. I feel so old. Okay. Um, I feel so old. Um, but essentially, you will not know this movie. Um, it's called Sliding Doors, and it's with Gwyneth Paltrow. Not a great movie, but what the movie does well is she actually plays two different versions of herself in the film. And in the film, she goes to catch a train. And in the first part of the film, she catches this train and she gets home and she finds her boyfriend in bed with someone else. Their relationship of many years ends and we get to see how that whole life path goes. And, and she ends up happy and fulfilled. And, and in another version of the film... She misses the train. She never finds out. She stays in a relationship with this guy. And, and her life ends up a whole different way. And I'm not sharing it because I want you to run out and watch that movie. Please don't. Um, but the reason I'm sharing it is because I asked you earlier to think about your encounter with Jesus. Now I want you to picture something else. Where do you think your life would be today? if you had never encountered Jesus? Who would you be with? What would your life look like? What would your family look like? What would your values look like? Can you picture your life without Jesus in it? It's a sobering thought to think about that. And, and really, let me ask you this. What would Nathaniel's life have been like if Philip had never brought him to Jesus? What will every life look like that God intends to reach through you if you never invite people to come and see this man that you know? I think it's something we need to think about because we want everyone, everyone to know the love that we 
have found. And I'll be forever grateful, forever grateful to the person who lovingly, over the course of an entire year, shared the love of Jesus with a broken boy who asked difficult questions. So how do we invite others to come and see? And this is as we draw to a close. The first thing that we see in these scriptures, and, and um, it was also Tim Keller who just shared some wisdom. He goes, the first thing we always do is we be patient. We be patient with people as we share Jesus with them and as we invite them to come. And he says, if we look closely at that scripture that we read a little bit earlier, and we, we didn't really read this part of it, but it, it says in verse 29, John goes, look, the Lamb of God. The next day, he's got the same people around him and he goes, look, the Lamb of God. And he's sharing it over and over again. And it's only after like the second or third, look, the Lamb of God, the disciples start to follow Jesus. That's what the next sentence says. So, so it's just this craziness of even, even for, for John, he's going, you know what, look, look, come and see. Look, this is who I know. This is him. This is what he's done. And, and eventually people take in what he's sharing with them. So, so I think the thing is we need to have space for people to ask questions. We need to, to just be patient with people as they move from indifferent to religious debaters to faithful followers of Jesus because it takes time. The second thing is take courage. Take courage. Nathaniel asks Philip a question that Philip does not have an answer to. And maybe Maybe that's what's scaring us as we reach out to people with Jesus, is we're going, okay, but what if they ask me stuff that I cannot answer? What if they're going, you know what? You don't know how I grew up. You don't know what home I lived in. You don't know what happened to me. And now you're coming to me with this loving God. And maybe, friends, the courage part is just stepping out and saying, you know what? I don't have an answer to you, but I know who does. Come and see. Come and do life with me. Maybe, maybe part of what we're doing here is we, we're just saying, I'm, I, I can't give you all the answers, but I'm committed to walking a road with you as we discover the answers together. Um, Tim Keller actually puts it this way. He says, how do we get better at those moments where they ask the questions? By floundering and practicing for years. That's not the answer we want, but it is the truth. Sometimes it is just, we're going to get it wrong but we're going to keep journeying with people and, and we're going to go, come meet this man. And the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit empowers us in the moment with the words that we need. We're not alone as we step out. Finally, we should have confident humility, he says. Confident humility. And he says, it's okay to say, I don't know. Philip has this confidence to simply say, you know what? Come and see. Come and see and you will find the answers to the questions that you're asking. And, and really, Philip knows he doesn't have the answers, but he's open to the questions and he's willing to walk the road with Nathaniel and he's willing to point him to the one who does have the answers that he needs.